worshiping here with us this morning in person or you're worshiping with us at home online. I want to welcome you this morning as we, uh, as John just mentioned in his prayer, wrap up a special two-week family uh, worship servant series that we've entitled One Another, Prioritizing the, the, the life, Our Life Together. We began this series last week with Pastor Mike reminding us or showing us from the scriptures that serving others is truly the only way to live a life of significance, here and now and for eternal impact. And today, as uh, we just prayed a moment ago, we're going to be looking at the scriptures at the important topic of biblical community, a topic that we believe with all our hearts here at Chantilly Bible Church that young and old alike need to understand because God's family, as God's family, we are called to live our lives together in Jesus Christ. And so I want to welcome, as did Mike a few moments ago, all of our kids here to the service. Hopefully, as you guys entered into this uh, main auditorium here, you received a, a special note sheet that was created so that you can follow along with us today. Recently, uh, when I shared with one of the men that I meet with regularly for discipleship and encouragement, I told him that we were going to be talking in the service today about biblical community, and he, he kind of looked with me, at me with a quizzical look and said, just what are you talking about when you use the word community? So perhaps to get us started here in our sermon, a good place to start is defining what biblical community is. This is my working definition of biblical community. Biblical community is a group of Christians who are centered and unified around the gospel of Jesus Christ seeking to carry out his mission. In doing life together with other Christians, we seek to reflect God's love to a watching world. And kids, um, I hope you understand simply that means uh, basically biblical community is a group of people who, who help each other to live like Jesus and to love others. And we do that by regularly meeting together. And we do that by holding each other accountable and praying for each other, caring for each other, serving and giving to the needs of each other and by bearing one another's burden. So biblical community is really simplified, a group of people who help each other live like Jesus and who love others. I hope that you can hear and see in that definition that while the world, today's society, seems to emphasize that faith is a private matter, as I look at scripture, I see that authentic biblical faith is not a, a, a me thing, but rather it is a we thing. It's all about relationships. And it's with these opening thoughts in mind this morning, I, I want to begin our topic, uh, looking at our topic with a little bit of a Bible quiz. If you're not familiar with the Bible, don't worry, no worries. Just follow along and learn as we go. But it's just a quiz with one question. And here's that question. What's the very first problem recorded in the Bible? What is the very first recorded problem in the Bible? Now, if your first instinct is to think about Adam and Eve's fall in Genesis 3, you'd be in very good company. Honestly, that's where my mind went when I first heard this. But the fall does not truly constitute the first recorded problem in the Bible. The first recorded problem in the Bible, you'll see, is presented in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It is here that God expresses the following words, It is not good that a man should be alone. It is not good that a man should be alone. 
And this, my friends, is the very first time in Scripture that anything in God's creation is said to be less than good. Up to this point, every phase of God's creation has been followed with the refrain, and God saw that it was good. In fact, this phrase is repeated again and again until God's final announcement of his crowning act of creation in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. It is here that we told, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his image in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, if you jump down to verse 31 in that same chapter, you'll see that after God created man in his image, as God looked out over his creation, he saw that it was very good. And so in the opening rhythm of chapter one of God's creation of this world, and it was good, you hear it, it was good, it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and that's five times, and then it says, and it was very good. When we get to Genesis chapter 2, the story of creation is repeated, but this time it is zoomed in uh, to a much greater detail. And it is here that we learn that the first man was actually created before the first woman, and that means there was a period of time when Adam was alone in the Garden of Eden. Well, not completely alone, right? If we read our scripture, we know God was with him. That's pretty awesome, pretty incredible. Adam also had a company of lots of animals but in terms of human companionship, Adam was indeed alone. And it was in this state of affairs that prompted God in Genesis 2.18 to say what we've already noted, it was not good for a man to be alone. Now, in the flow of the biblical text here, I believe these words are meant to grab our attention. Because just when you settled in to chapter 1, the refrain, and everything was good, then suddenly you hear, it is not good when you least expect it. And for me, at least, it was jarring, okay? Even in a setting and an environment so pristine, something was not good. And the problem, as we've identified it, was the man's aloneness. And so God did something about it. Genesis 2, 21 through 25, we're told, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, verse 24, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, but were unashamed. While I believe that this passage has profound implications for marriage relationship, I point to this every time I do premarital training. Even more fundamentally, I believe that there, there, there's tremendous implications here for human relationships in general. Interestingly, in my research for this sermon, I, I came across a poll, and in this poll they discerned that half of all adults surveyed in the United States say they experience loneliness at least weekly. This loneliness, of course, has been intensified over the recent isolating effects of the pandemic, but even pre-pandemic. As best author, podcaster, and founder of the Art of Leadership Academy, Curry Newwolf puts it, this is an amazing statement. 
the paradox of our age is that we've never been more connected as a culture, and we've never felt more alone. And I believe, folks, the ache of this loneliness today is an echo of this very first problem recorded in the Bible. And to rectify this problem, God created a woman out of Adam's rib. Together, they were not only the first male-female couple here, they also formed the very first human community. And that's significant because it is clear from Scripture that God is a relational God. Our God is a relational God. Look back at Genesis 1, verse 26. Here's what God decrees. Let us make men in our own image after our likeness. And the presence here of the words let us in this verse implies something I think very important about God's nature. On the basis of careful study of the Bible, early Christian theologians articulated what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. This is a foundational Christian teaching that there is one God who exists in loving community of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And out of the outflow of this profoundly loving community experienced in the Trinity, God says here in this verse, hey, I'm going to create human beings in my own relational image, and I'm going to invite them to live in loving community with me and with each other. And here's the thing. Because we have made, we, uh, we've been made in this relational image of God, this is my first point if you're taking notes, whether you consider yourself an extrovert or an introvert, we, my friends, are all created for community with God and with each other. We are created for community with God and with each other. And, and why, kids, do we need community if you're taking notes here? Because I hope you can see that is how God designed us, Okay. Now, interestingly, before the fall in Genesis here, it tells us that human beings had been naked and unashamed. And I believe that more than a matter of dress, this speaks of how they were fully free to be authentic selves in their relationship with God and with each other. But once they fell into sin, it says that their eyes were opened, their trust and authenticity dissolved, and for the very first time we see in Scripture, they felt shame. Suddenly... They felt the need to protect themselves, defend themselves, and to cover up. They hid not only from each other, but they hid from God too. I wonder as you think about that today. Do you ever try to hide from God? Do you ever hide from others or for yourself? And I ask these questions because the second point I want to point out is this image of our relational God is stamped upon each of us but like Adam and Eve, I believe it's become distorted because of sin. And that's precisely why I believe we have this uh, quandary inside of ourselves where sometimes we find ourselves yearning for loving community while at the very same time trying to run and hide from it. Even in a church, such as Chantilly Bible Church, where loving relationships should be the, have the best chance of flourishing, we understand that the cultivation of community remains a constant challenge. It requires, if we're going to do it right, tremendous amounts of effort, intentionality, commitment, hard work, sacrifice, and the, if we're going to possess it and maintain it as God would have us. And quite frankly, it's risky. It's risky. Because when it comes to living in Christian community, Pastor Kim Teller, Keller hits the nail on the head when he says, people are messy. Okay? Therefore, relationships will be messy expect messiness. 
And so an obvious question to stop here and ask ourselves, is community worth pursuing? Knowing all that we know, is community worth pursuing? And the Bible's answer is yes a thousand times over. Because here's my next point. Although relationships can be messy, community is worth pursuing because God's purpose has not changed. In fact, do you know that both in the beginning chapters, the opening chapters of the Bible, and the ending chapters, and with so many hundreds of chapters in between, God's desire for community is in perspective. From the beginning, God created human beings in a relational image. And through Jesus Christ, in the end, he will ultimately redeem fallen human beings, fully restoring us in his relational image. Look, if you will, at Revelation 21, verses 2 through 4. This is what we have for our future as believers. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so ultimately in heaven, like Adam and Eve in the garden, we will enjoy unhindered intimacy with our great God. And notice the complete elimination of all sorrows that entered the world because of sin. But until that time, as I look at Scripture... You don't have to look at scripture very long or hard to realize that God is actively encouraging us as followers of Christ to, and even commanding us in many cases, to belong and to faithfully participate in community, primarily in a local church. In fact, I don't have the time to fully demonstrate it here, but in every letter of the New Testament, it assumes Christians are participating members of a local church. It's clear, therefore, that when the Holy Spirit wants to instruct believers, he knows where he can be found in the church. That's one reason why many years ago when we were establishing our church's core values, we determined that living in community must be one of them. We believe, you see, that church-centered, Christ-centered community is essential for our spiritual growth. And that's why I can tell you I was so excited when I heard we were going to talk on this topic. As a pastor, I am so passionate about this topic. I love it, you see, when people find a place to belong and grow in their lives in Christ with others. I love to walk with God's children here through the ups and downs. And I love it when people can find the support they need to take that next step of faith with their Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, that being noted, again, let me remind you, as noted earlier here, Although community is exhilarating and it's inspiring, it can also be very hard. And perhaps that's why some are watching today, even the service today in their homes on their own, having no connections with the local church. Maybe, maybe you once were part of a community, but somewhere along the way, you got hurt and disappointed and you decided that wasn't going to happen to you again. Perhaps you're avoiding, some of you sitting here today, avoiding smaller groups of community because you're afraid of the invulnerable or maybe even being judged. So what do we do, brothers and sisters in Christ, when we want to grow but we don't really want community? And to address that question and address these concerns, the Lord led me to Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. Please turn there with me, if you will. Hebrews 10, 
I want to show you from this passage that community is God's design for us to grow as believers together. And I also want to address these concerns by presenting three disciplines to remember to remember when we're tempted to avoid Christian community. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. Can we go ahead? I'm going to put them up on the screen here. Let's go ahead and read them together, can we? And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Discipline number one. You ready? Keep meeting together. The scriptures encourage us to keep meeting together, not neglect meeting together. A Greek word translated meeting here in verse 25 is the Greek word that we derive our word synagogue. It means a gathering or a congregation together. Now, we need to make a distinction here. You see, a congregation is different from an aggregation. An aggregation is a collection of people who happen to be at the same time in the same place but who otherwise have no other connection to each other. In contrast, as you look at the word congregation, it's a gathering of people whose lives touch and intersect and interdepend on one another. There is synergy, there is life, there is unity, and there is power. And so here's a question that I would ask. Are we called, brothers and sisters, to be an aggregation or a congregation? Folks, Scripture is overwhelmingly clear as I looked at it this week on this matter. We are indeed called to be a congregation. We are called to live in community with each other. We are called to do life together. We are called to be in relationship with each other. And that's why, kids, in the Bible, God often uses the image of the human body, right? Hands, feet, eyes, nose, to help us understand the nature and the functionality of Christ's church. This metaphor, this picture reminds us the body has many different parts, right? We also play very important roles in the church, and we need each other to be healthy and to function as God intended us. And that's why if we're healthy, watching the services is a good thing, but I believe it's not enough. That's why also reading the Bible and praying on our own are good things, but I believe they are not good enough. Yes, all these things are important disciplines and practices, but when we do them only by ourselves, we are not growing in my heart the way I believe God intended and designed for us to grow together. Biblical community is primarily in the context of group transformation, one heart at a time. And so if we're a Christian and most of our faith is private, we have no connections or interworkings with other Christians, I don't feel we fully understand the way God intended his church to function. You see, the Christian faith is not meant to be practiced in private. It is practiced together as family. Think about it. Mike pointed out last week that most of the commands in the New Testament, the one another commands, cannot be done on their own. In fact, kids, if you're taking notes here, there are over 50 one another commands that we cannot do other than being in community. Let me give you a few examples. Be devoted to one another. That's Romans 12, verse 10. Bear one another's burdens. That's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Serve one another. Galatians 5, verse 13. Pray for one another. James 5, 16. And so when or if we are tempted 
to want to stay away from Christian community. The first discipline I see being emphasized in these words of the writer to the Hebrews, keep meeting together. Keep meeting together. Here's the second discipline to remember. Be that someone. Look back at verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. A verb consider there means to stop, seriously think about how in the context we can help others to grow. But is, is that how we tend to think? That's where I stopped and thought, is that how, are we constantly thinking on how can I help someone else to grow? Honestly, probably not, myself included. Tell me something. If you look at a photograph and you're part of that photograph in a, in, in a group, what's the first person you look for? yourself, right? The same is often true, I'm afraid, in our relationships. We tend to look out for ourselves. We tend to think about relationships in terms of what can I get from others rather than what we can give to others. Let me give you another example to see if you understand what I'm saying here. If you see two people, okay, one of them has a great sense of humor, is outgoing, thinks and acts quite a bit like you have a lot in common. And the other, at the same time, you see another person who's a little bit socially awkward, shy, and needy. Which one are we most likely to approach? Probably the first, right? Because we, we, we constantly, in our selfishness, think, what can I get out of there? We don't want to work hard. We don't want to give that much. Now, hear me well here. The point I'm trying to make here is I'm not saying you can't be friends with people you like or who like you, okay? The point that I'm trying to make is I look at biblical community, it requires recognizing that it is not all about us. Who demonstrated that more than Jesus himself, okay? People often join a church or a small group because they're looking for that someone, someone who will care for me, someone who will listen to me, someone who will encourage me, but who's that someone going to be? Folks, I often preach from this pulpit, you, I need to be that someone. In biblical community, you see, God calls us to be that someone. So let me ask you today, it's part of your question, kids, how would our relationships, how would our church change if predominantly we were asking, what, rather than what can I get from that person, what can I give to them? That certainly was the attitude of Jesus. What if instead of just wanting someone to meet my needs, we decided I'm going to be that someone to meet the needs of others proactively? Now, some of you might be wondering, well, if that's someone, uh, if, if, if I'm not someone, if I'm someone for someone else, who's going to be that someone for me? Well, honestly, that's the beauty of healthy Christian community. God is calling all of us to have this attitude, to be that someone, which means that, and I, I want to say this carefully because I messed it up, if all of us are being that someone, not only will you be that someone for others, but hear me, others will also be that someone for you, okay? And so when or if we are tempted to stay away from Christian community, the second discipline that I see in this text, God is calling us to be that someone proactively. A third discipline I see in this text is we need to practice the one of another's. Pastor Anley Stanley is quoted as saying that the primary activity of the church is to the one anothering one another. That's a hard one, huh? The primary activity of the church is to the one anothering one another. And we talked about this earlier, that when, when we look at the New Testament, it is full of one another's and commands um, for us to see. But here are two more in our text here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, that I think are very important we recognize. First, 
we see that we are, we are commanded here to stir up, the, to spur up one another to love and good deeds and good works here, right? That Greek word stir up here, or spur up, literally means to irritate, to action. We know a few people who have that gift, right? The idea here is a loving exhortation or an admonishment. I think it's what Paul thinks in, when he writes, uh, he's thinking about in Ephesians 4, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love. Why? That we may grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Because here's the thing. We all, myself included, have blind spots. By definition, we can't see them. I'm talking here about sinful habits and patterns in our lives that keep us from growing. And, and we become so good at denial, I'm including myself here, that even the, we often don't even know they exist. And that's why if we want to grow as followers of Jesus Christ, we need others in our lives to stir within us, to spur us on, right? And likewise, we need to be faithfully and lovingly spurring others on as well. Now, let me be clear here. This doesn't mean you go walking up to someone and you hit them with a list of their faults, okay? That's not what I'm suggesting. We need to pray about our motives when we do this. We need to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We also need to have a certain level of um, relationship with that person before you can talk in this step. But most of all, I would submit to you, we need to have a Christ-like humility, a gentleness. The bottom line is, I believe we need other brothers and sisters in our lives to hold us accountable. This is God's ordained mechanism to ensure that it keeps us from straying off the path that God wants us corporately and individually to be walking. And that's why the writer to the Hebrews goes on second here to say that we need to be encouraging one another. He says encourage one another. And that word encourage here literally means to lovingly come alongside of someone, put yourself in their shoes, to empathize with them. It carries the meaning of in-person coaching and training and modeling. Remember that doing life together, right? This truth is not to be, uh, the, the truth of Scripture is not to be used as a club to bludgeon people into acceptance and, and obedience, but must always be modeled and presented with personal, loving, Christ-like humility. It's the goal you see, that individually and together we are becoming mature in Jesus Christ, no longer knocked around by the clever lies of this world, but being able to stand tall and straight and embodying the very fullness of Christ, our head. Final point. But the value of Christian community reaches even further than just bringing the body of Christ to strength and maturity. Final point. The practice of Christian community quite simply makes the good news, hear me, the good news of the gospel lived a lived reality while at the same time conveys God's life and power in the world at large. At Chantilly Bible Church, we believe some of the best ways we can experience this encouragement and close relationship with other believers is our small groups, our community groups. And that's why we're emphasizing that this week. And I want to invite Amy Hansen to come up. She volunteered when she heard we were going to be talking about this topic to share how God has used her small group to be an impact on her life and ministry. Thanks, Pastor Milt. Good morning. My family has been attending Chantilly Bible Church for six years and have been part of a community group that entire time. 
When I heard about this sermon series, I asked uh, the pastors if I could share what our community group has meant to me. Several years ago, my husband, Izzy, spent a year in the Middle East for his work. It was a stressful and difficult year. I was working more than full time and caring for my two boys without their father at home. Our community group continued to meet at our home every Friday night. I want to share a few of the ways, the many ways, RCG cared for my family that year. Becky Perroki announced to me that I was exempt from making dinner on Fridays. And every Friday that year, she showed up at my house an hour before CG with dinner in hand so that my boys and I could have a relaxing dinner with Becky and Jesse before CG started. Around 7 o'clock, the rest of the CG members would start to trickle in. As we helped ourselves to snacks and stood around chatting, the guys in the group would start to notice things in my house. A high light bulb that was out, a kitchen cabinet door that was off kilter. And without telling me they were doing, they would go into my garage, help themselves to my toolbox and my ladder, and just start fixing things in my house. I'd be chatting with a couple of people and I'd see out of the corner of my eye, guys just walking by with my stuff. <laughs> and just start repairing things. One cold Friday in December, the CG arrived an hour early, laden down with Christmas lights and extension cords and ladders because they knew that I loved outdoor Christmas lights, but I was overwhelmed at the idea of tackling decorating my house by myself, so they just showed up and decorated my house for me. When my boys and I came down with strep throat, they showed up with chicken soup, Tylenol, and cans of Lysol. All of these people have jobs, mind you, but it was second nature for them. I was in need that year. And so they took care of me, ensuring I had the support I needed while Izzy was overseas. In this life, we will face challenges and suffering. Christians are not exempt from that reality. But the beauty of the Christian life is that we do not have to face those things alone. God is with us always, and we also have each other. In the last six years, members of our community group have navigated difficult medical situations, relational struggles, job loss, and devastating loss and grief. But none of us have had to walk through those things alone. And we've also shared in so many happy things together. We've welcomed the arrival of new babies and celebrated the graduations of our grown-up kids. We've shared in victories, large and small, welcomed each other to our Thanksgiving tables, and toasted the new year together. When people talk about living life together, my CG is what I think of. The members of our CG are very different from each other. We are in many different stages of life. We work in a wide variety of fields. We vary in our politics, our hobbies, and our tastes. None of these differences have turned out to matter because we have in common the one thing that transcends all other things, our fellowship in Christ. As human beings, one of our greatest desires is to be truly known and deeply loved. That is what makes the gospel so powerful, that Jesus, knowing us at the deepest level, with nothing of ourselves hidden from him, chose to give himself for us so that we could be in relationship with him. And in close Christian relationships, like the ones we have in CG, we can experience the beauty of relationships in which we really know one another and dearly love one another. So to my CG, let me say, you are my family, and I love you all, and I'm so thankful that we get to do life together. To everyone else, if you are not in a CG, you are missing one of the richest blessings Christian life has to offer. 
Don't wait. Find your community group and experience the joy of living life together with your family in Christ. Thanks so much, Amy. For more information about our community groups as you leave the auditorium this morning, I want to encourage you to stop by the uh, community group information table there. You'll have the opportunity to meet James, our director of connecting ministries here at Chantilly Bible Church. He will answer any of your questions, help you get connected. If you're in a hurry, you can fill out one of these cards and he will follow up with you. They're on the table as you walk out. But as Amy said, I just want to encourage you to be a part of a community group and experience the blessings of being part of that. Every believer, I believe, in Jesus Christ, regardless of their age, is created in the image of God for loving community with God and with each other. And that's why at Chantilly Bible Church, our youth ministry, our family life ministries here have become such a valuable resource. They've always been, but we've really come to realize how important these ministries are for the families as we seek to come alongside of them and help them grow in Jesus Christ. Coming alongside of our parents is an important word because we don't want to replace you. We want to be support and supplemental for you and for your kids to help them learn about the values and priorities in Scripture through the lens of, of the gospel and, and give them the opportunity to study the Word of God and theology together with qualified teachers and peers. And so I, I know um, some kids don't want to participate because they're shy about being in a larger group. I know also that some think it's, uh, they're too cool to actually be a part of that. Some, frankly, are overwhelmed with their academic and their athletic commitments. But I believe with all my heart, and I'm speaking as a pastor here, parents, that we have to try our best to have our kids and our youth participate in these ministries. I, I believe they'll be benefited, you'll be benefited. So please pray on how you can get your kids involved. And finally, a final takeaway. It occurred to me as I was preparing this sermon that how blessed we were. You know, John prayed earlier about the pandemic. Those were really, really hard times for everyone, but I think really hard on the church. But I was so pleased during that time to see the way God provided our streaming technology at Chantilly Bible Church in relatively a few weeks. Uh, rustic at first, but God has brought that along. And, and that technology, praise God, is allowing people who are working and people who are caring for sick family members and, and people who are, are not comfortable stepping into a church right away are people, honestly, who are, are, are dealing with physical or medical concern uh, that prevents them from being able to come here in person. That gives them the opportunity to feel that community uh, that they're not able to be here in person. But, but I hope that I've shown you, and I'm speaking from my heart here today, that God, from God's word today, for multiple reasons, worshiping online is not an equal substitute or a good substitute for in-person worship. For those who especially have none of the restrictions that I just described. After all, what makes the in-person service such a wonderful and blessed experience is mostly not due to what's happening on here on the stage, but what's happening off the stage and on cam off camera. And I'm talking about that personal hug or that, uh, that offer to pray with somebody or that fellowship or that conversation that you needed to hear. The blessing of hearing people that we love and care about worshiping together in song. The opportunity to use our gifts, our talents, and our abilities to be a blessing to one another. The counsel that we can receive. And, and I just love participating in the Lord's table. 
And for these reasons and many more, I believe that an in-person church participation needs to be a regular priority in the hearts of those who are healthy and well enough and available to do so. I just encourage you from my heart. You know, wrapping up our time now in the Word of God, I think we all know too well that maturity in Christ takes time. But I hope the one thing you heard clearly from my heart today, I think that we know a whole lot less well, is it also takes the fellowship of brothers, the loving fellowship of other brothers and sisters in Christ. And while any believer... I mean, we're encouraged in Scripture can offer praise to God privately. There is something altogether special and different when it happens when we have gathered together here as the family of Chantilly Bible Church. So I hope you'll pray about that. Come back if you're not with us. We miss you. We can't be the same without you. Let me go ahead and pray and close out our time with song here as we would traditionally do. Father, thank you so very much for... Uh, this mini-series that we have done together here at Chantilly Bible Church. Thank you for the gifts and the talents you've given us. And I do pray, Lord, that we would be willing to allow you to work in and through us to be a blessing and uh, opportunity to minister to others that you have called us to be. Lord, we thank you for the reminder from Amy of just the beautiful fellowship that we can enjoy as we gather in our small groups, Sunday school classes, uh, our children's ministries. Lord, I pray that we will all seek to make that the priority it needs to be so that we can grow together in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you again for this time. Work in our hearts as you see best. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.